Welcome to Ask the Educator, a podcast brought to you by Healthmark Industries. Are you a sterile processing technician or manager? Maybe you work in infection prevention or biomedical engineering. Whether you're a frontline tech, endoscopy tech, OR nurse, or surgical services administrator, you undoubtedly have influence in medical device processing at your facility. In each episode, we speak with experts from the Healthmark Clinical Affairs team, industry leaders, or special guests from the trenches to answer your questions and bring you relevant industry information, equipping you for excellence in medical device processing. My name is Kevin Anderson, and I will be your host. Now let's get started. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin Anderson, and welcome to the Ask the Educator podcast. Uh, Joining me, uh, as usual, I have Adam Okada, my co-host. Adam, thanks for, for joining me. Um, and then our special guest for this episode is Greg Agustin. Uh, Greg, uh, welcome to the show. And um, we just really appreciate your time. We're going to get into what most people will feel is a very important and uh, in-depth topic, but we're going to try and kind of keep it high level and really kind of enlighten some of the listeners on the cost of an SPD error. This is something that, Greg, you've done a lot of work on. And I just want to kind of open up the floor for you to set the foundation for this conversation and just kind of explain to us, like, where did this topic come from and how did you get this study started and how did you get these numbers? Because, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert, the cost of an SPD error, according to this research that you have shared, is really high. I'm not going to give the number yet, but the spoiler alert is that it's really high. So, Greg, if you would just kind of. Let us know how how did this come about? Yeah, so um, from from my work experience and working with hospitals across the country, working for specialty care currently, um, we have seen that there's a, a very large uh, problem. Almost, you know, I'll call it pandemic, and actually kind of started during the pandemic is when we really dove into this. During the pandemic phase, um, we had obviously some time downtime, and during that time, I used it to. Uh, get an um, actual certification in Lean Six Sigma through the University of Michigan. And as part of that process, we I worked with one of the professors at the university and told them about the challenges we see in sterile processing. And that kind of led us down a path of, hey, let's do a study uh, using um, six of the senior level uh, students in the industrial engineering division at the University of Michigan. And so uh, we sponsored the, the University of Michigan for this study. And uh, that's really kind of how it started. But we, we just kept going into sterile processing departments and quite frankly, just seeing them being run as a, just a department that focus was just a, you know, turn and make, make instruments available to the OR. Um, and the consequence of that focus on availability is we were seeing a lot of errors related to functionality of instruments and sterility and safety of instruments. And we thought, you know, there's a huge cost to this. And, you know, sterile processing departments have struggled for a long period of time. I'm a huge advocate, as I know all of you at Healthmark are, in trying to uplift sterile processing to the level that it should be. Um, and, you know, when we bring up, you know, the needs for sterile processing, it always comes down to cost. So in order to justify a cost, we have to show them that there's some type of a ROI or savings on that. And that's how we got into this. It's such an important work that you guys are doing. And I know you started at U of M and, and I guess expanded to uh, other facilities from there. But were they were you guys using like a formalized way uh, to track 
errors? Yeah. So uh, part of the process, so the, the University of Michigan um, study was really focused around identifying what the true cost of SPD-related errors were. Now, in conjunction to that, I developed a tracking system, and we went in and we did a lot of work, and I did a lot of work individually outside of the students around kind of what the hospitals currently are doing to track SPD-related errors. And quite frankly, I looked at a lot of a lot of the, the studies out there on incident reporting systems, um, and 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 did the research there to find that you know on average, uh, there's just a recent study published in 2023 said only only about seven percent of all the errors related to inpatient procedures are actually reported in the incident reporting system. It's only 7%. And when you look at what happens in sterile processing, those incident reporting systems are really kind of designed for things that impact the patient. Now, fortunately, most of the errors that occur in you know, sterile processing are caught by the surgical technician or the nurse as they're setting the room up. But there is also a good number of errors that do reach the patient. So what we found was the errors that reached the patients are being reported. The errors that are being caught by the OR were not being reported. And those are the bulk of the errors. Probably 90% of the errors don't reach the patient, which is, you know, fortunate, very fortunate for that. However, those errors waste a lot of time. So from a Lean Six Sigma perspective, we looked at that and said, this is a huge time waste and there has got to be a cost associated to that. As somebody who used to work in the operating room, I can totally attest to what you're saying about the 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 occurrence of reporting. You know, seven percent. Uh, it sounds really bad, but it makes sense in a lot of ways to me because I can tell you when when I ran into an error with an instrument tray, if I could fix it in a matter of a couple minutes, it was very hard to remember to go back. You know, because we were back like putting the room together, finishing up and getting ready for the patient. And it required you to remember to go back later in the day or during a break or something like that to actually input the quality report. So it was like, sometimes you had to determine whether or not you thought it was re- uh, worth it to report the problem. So it, when it does impact a patient, a patient's uh, case is delayed or canceled or something like that, then it just seems much more obvious. And you might actually not have anything to do for a few minutes, you're like, all right, I need to report this. You said that you had come up with a tool, way of tracking instrument errors. Out of curiosity, is that like a paper tool? Was it a digital tool? Was it the responsibility of the OR to report it? Or were you kind of there with them helping do the reporting and they just had to tell you what was wrong or how, how did that work? Yeah. So, so what we, what we did is we, we took a look at kind of existing systems. And again, um, we found that there was a huge variability in the types of systems that were being used across, you know, the hospitals that we were working in. Um, some of them, you know, within like an RL solutions, uh, origami, there's all kinds of different systems that hospitals will use to report their incidents. Again, these are hospital-wide incidents, so slips and falls and patients, uh, medications, uh, anything related to an injury, whether it's a visitor or a patient or is reported in there from the parking lot to the operating room, basically. So we looked at those systems, and then we kind of looked, and we found that um, hospitals that use those, the for SPD, the information that was gathered was really not very specific to get back to the root cause of the problem. It was more of like, okay, well, this occurred. And it was just a laundry list of this occurred, this occurred, this occurred, right? Um, and, you know, who reported it? 
but he didn't really give us specifics about, okay, well, what technician built that set or what was specifically wrong with the set or you know, was it categorized so that you could sort and gather trends? And, you know, when you, and then we looked at other systems, at, uh, some hospitals, you know, the SPD director at one hospital, she just had an Excel sheet and she relied on kind of word of mouth or people reported it. And in the one example, uh, they had two hospitals in this community system and she was recording from both hospitals an average of about 10 events per month by her system. And again, it was just an Excel sheet and it was literally just a list of, it was a you know hole in wrap or wrap had a hole in it or the wrap was torn or so you, you know you, you couldn't standardize it to do any kind of sorting to say okay well how many times did we have an event that was related to a hole in a wrap right um, so the genesis of this was okay let's just create a very simple uh, Excel document and we'll we'll start with that and we'll create a very simple form that could be filled out and we tested the form to see how long it would take now. We also did some time studies to look at how long it took to do those reports in the computer system. So the time you go to log in, enter the report data, on average, it was about six to seven minutes to report. Um, our paper sheet to, to report is about three minutes or less. So there's a little bit of time savings with that, and the data is much more specific to what we were trying to, trying to gather. The other thing that we did is we went through and we looked at literally thousands of air reports, and then boiled that down so we could basically come up with about 15 categories for sterile processing that not 99% of all the events that occur in sterile processing are going to show up as one of those 15. Um, so that helped us from a standardization perspective. We took the, you know, the University of Michigan study was based upon the hospital reporting system. So, you know, in one year period of time, 244 errors were reported. My estimation is there were probably two times to three times that many errors that actually occurred, but just likely weren't reported. And we've been able to pretty much document that in other hospitals. The hospital that I was telling you about that was recording 10 errors a month uh, between two hospitals. In the first, I think it was the first 19 days we were in the hospital with our paper reporting system. From one hospital alone, we had 86 errors reported, which corresponded to why they called us to come into the hospital, uh, you know, from the COO, because he was saying the surgeons were going ballistic about the quality of the instrument. So from an SKD perspective, five errors per hospital per month was not too bad. She's thinking she's doing a great job. Within 19 days, 86 errors, and then you can start to dissect that and really find where the, where the problems are. Uh, I want to get into the, the cost behind the errors. So you actually started to document these errors, and then you were able to get sort of a soft cost. Can you talk about that process of how you uh, landed at that? Yeah. So, um, again, going back to the University of Michigan study. So the students um, and, and working with them, we categorized events into three, three kind of uh, broad categories. The first was was an was a uh, an incident that required just a pill pack. Okay, so uh, the second incident type was an incident that required a tray, and the third incident type was a, was a room turnover because the field was contaminated. And then they put we we looked at the information that was actually reported and we put categories on that. So you know pill packs versus trays, the percent that that's required, and then room turnover. Room turnover was only about 2% of the time, luckily, um, but still a significant amount of time. And then we categorized all the different times from, okay, from air discovery to calling for the replacement to someone finding the replacement 
to bringing that and delivering it to the room, to opening it up, and then kind of, you know, getting reorganized. So that was a big chunk of the cost and the time for the operating room was related to that. We looked at the price or the, the, the cost of our wages for, you know, the nurse in the room, the tech in the room. We didn't include the cost for the position of the anesthesiologist in the University of Michigan study, um, but we did a good job in categorizing and, and gathering that cost basis as well as some utility costs and just general costs. It turned out that we were very conservative and the rate was about $65 a minute for OR for a lost OR minute. Um, and I've seen studies that, you know, maybe from 65 all the way up to, you know, close to $300 a minute, depending upon the case type. So it's a very conservative um, amount of time uh, or price that we, we put for that. And then we did that for each of those three categories. So obviously the when you got a complete room turnover, that was about 111 minutes um, total time that was lost. Then we looked at the the cost of the SPD because obviously there's you know we're we're doing rework now on the SPD side and where we're having to reprocess or either a single instrument in a field pack or a tray of instruments and then the time and the cost. So um, we estimated about 81 cents a um, 81 cents per instrument that needed to be reprocessed as a charge uh, based upon, you know, studies that we, we were able to find um, and then build a cost around that. On the soft cost side, um, the students looked at the things related to uh, lawsuits and the incidence of that. So they put an estimate in for that. They put an estimate in for um, patient satisfaction or dissatisfaction. So, you know, what percent of the patients are going to, you know, not come back to your hospital or go and tell their friends, don't go to that hospital because they had a bad experience and lost revenue. So they put an estimate in for that. Um, and the total cost was about $6,100 per FPD event, okay? Uh, that was from the University of Michigan study. Now, that actually is not even a full picture of all the costs because we did a subsequent um, analysis, uh, again, that, back to that uh, community hospital, uh, that had the two locations I referred to earlier. And in that location, um, turnover and the SPD was a huge issue. Um, they had 30 staff members in the SPD between the two hospitals. And then within a 12-month period of time, or actually 17-month period of time, they had 76 different individuals work in that SPD. Okay, so think about that for a minute. Over a 50% turnover rate. Now, this was Again, just a little post-COVID, um, you know, or really, you know, kind of into COVID and then kind of post-COVID timeframe. Um, but the turnover rate was significant. So then we went back and we looked at studies related to the cost of training and educating SPD staff. So this is, you know, outside of the University of Michigan study, but another factor that, you know, we're working on building into, you know, kind of the next version. Um, and in that, and in that analysis of what it costs to train an SPD technician, Nancy Chobin, um, I think all of you are familiar with, uh, did a study back in 2008, and it's, I think the most recent study, it probably needs to, needs to be redone. But back in 2008, it was about 40, mid $40,000 to train a technician up to about a nine month period of time, right? To kind of get them somewhat proficient in sterile processing. So what we did is we just took her data and then used uh, 2023 dollars. So it's about $57,000 for that. And then there were 25 technicians who started at the hospital and then subsequently quit. 
So if we multiply 25 times that 50, 50, uh, $57,000, you're at 1.4 million with just training costs related to the turnover, right? So these costs really do add up. I mean, it's, you know, we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of, if, if not over a million, millions of dollars a year in expense. Um, and then the other, the other challenge with it is, is again, when we, when we looked at, you know, some additional data that we've been able to gather since the University of Michigan study, we're finding it's very consistent that the, that the errors are way underreported. When, if you went back and you said, okay, well, let's just, you know, if we applied those rates of errors, you know, over the full period of time, like if, you know, if they're having 100 errors a month over the full year, now the numbers become astronomically large. We're talking, you know, $6 million at that two hospital location a year would be related to lost cost. And then I go back to my premise earlier or statement earlier about trying to elevate SPD. What we're, what we're trying to show the administration is if you took that money and paid more to keep people employed more gainfully and demanded more from them, we would be in a much better situation and you would still be saving money. You know, so that's where we want to go with this. We're really trying to transform sterile processing for the good of, of the patient, of the hospital, and of the you know, surgical staff. Well, Greg, I can surely appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of other managers and techs and all, even directors of surgery out there could appreciate that as well, because it is one of those things where, unfortunately, I mean, like you said, it, it it's roughly, what'd you say, 6000 over $6,000 roughly uh, per error. That tells you the kind of value that is being done in sterile processing. That gives a numerical value to it. Uh, and it's a little bit less abstract that way, which is nice. But that being said, it's um we we want to give them stuff to to like then take action, which I, I'm sure is part of you know what you're envisioning here too. And so how how is it that you know, sterile processing managers or, or directors or people who are supporting sterile processing, uh, what what is the, you know, maybe the top few things that they could do to maybe help eliminate these errors? I mean, I I worked in a place where there were so many errors at one point. Our orthopedic surgeon, he was doing six total knees or total hips a day, and he dropped it down to three because he couldn't count on the instruments being clean and sterile like we had some surgeons threatening to take their volume to the hospital down the street i mean those are even probably more substantial costs than maybe even what was found in the model is i'm just guessing but but you can see that there's a there's a a supreme importance here on how to make this mm -hmm. actionable and show that sterile processing can also turn this model on its head and actually save these dollars. Right. Right. right, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it, there's, you know, there's, there's a, a, a couple of different ways to look at this and, and uh, we've broken it down into, you know, again, kind of using lean six Sigma again of, of, of the theory of, of, you know, how do we make improvement to a production area? I think the first thing is, is that the, the OR or SPD management staff needs to, needs to view their department as a production area and apply production methods to that department, right? So that's the first thing is quality has got to be the first thing that comes out of it. And then when you look at what is the role of SPD, we've simplified that and said, okay, really SPD has three primary functions. 
Instruments have to be available. Instruments should have to be functional and they have to be safe for every patient use. And what we find is that there's a function, you kind of have a production function of, okay, so what variables go in to achieve those three primary goals? It boils down to the number of staff, and this is the, probably the most, most critical factor is the number of staff you have in the department. Because if you're understaffed, you're never going to get to your goals of, you know, the, the three goals of available, functional, and safe to use. Um, the, and then it is the proficiency of the staff. So how well qualified, you know, so we've got various levels of education and, and um, experience in the sterile processing department. So breaking it down to like how proficient is your staff? What equipment and supplies do you have to work with? So do you have the right, you know, tools? Do you have the right, you know, right indicators? Do you have, the, you know, right, um, you know, uh, stringers for your instruments to make the job easier, better, more efficient? Um, the equipment, your washers, your autoclaves, you know, we go into so many hospitals and they've got like, you know, two, two washers and one of them's down. They've got three autoclaves and one of them's down, you know, and it just significantly hampers the ability to, to hit those goals. And then lastly, you've got to build some efficiency into that. So you've got those four variables that you're working with to get to these three goals. And what we find consistently is, is that staff will always do whatever they have to do to get the availability goal. The goal is to make it available. The problem is, is that if it's not functional or if it's not safe, meaning they took shortcuts. So I was in a hospital just recently and watched them process uh, Da Vinci uh, arms, right? Ro robot arms. And watching the guy, there's no, there's no soak, there's no flush. It really was literally washing it with water, not even enzymatic, washing and brushing with water. And then, and then, and then, and then they weren't even using the ultrasonic, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was incredible, but you see things. And, and, and so the technicians will shortcut functionality and safety to hit availability. And that's what we see. And that's what one of the, one of the problems is. So it kind of goes way back. I mean, you know, sterile processing, again, is I think this, in this transformation, we're really trying to create a movement to transform sterile processing. Sterile processing was designed, you know, back in, you know, 1930s and 40s around the concept from the um, American Medical Association to, you know, standardize and pull this together. Well, at the time, the autoclaves were complex pieces of equipment. You had to monitor time and pressure and temperature, and you needed a nurse to do that. And they were, they were dangerous pieces of equipment at that time, right? The instruments were very simple stainless steel, ring-handled instruments. We were doing open procedures. We didn't have all these complex procedures. Most of the procedures we're doing today, or many of the procedures we're doing today, were never even thought of. And that was, you know, you, you weren't replacing hips, right? <laughs> Back in the 1930s or 40s. Um, so the model of SPD was created around that, where you could take somebody out of dietary and put them over into SPD, and you can clean spoons, forks, and knives, and you'd be okay, because you got a nurse who's managing the autoclave. Today, it's just the opposite. The autoclave is very simple. It's if you can operate your microwave, you pretty much can operate the push button. Um, but the instrumentation is so complex. You've got uh, IFUs for Da Vinci and, and flexible scopes that you know 50 pages long, 100 pages long, just just for one one item, right? And then we've got thousands, and then we bring in all the loaners that we, that, that are brought into the equation, and the loaners come in from the vendors with no count sheets, no, you know, very little information, 
most of the technicians probably don't even know what the pieces and parts are used for, but they're expected to, you know, clean, assemble, and make sure they're prepared uh, properly. So it's we've got to change that, and we've got to get some specialization in sterile processing where you've got people who are focused on very specialized things like flexible scopes, or maybe it's orthopedic loaners, or maybe it's minimally invasive robotics. But, you know, trying to ask the people to know every single procedure, every single instrument is is becoming really probably impossible. You know, that, that's the challenge. So there's lots of things that can be done um, in, but I think in general, um, from an SPD manager perspective is one is you cannot, you cannot, you, you cannot solve your problems unless you know what the problems are. You first have to define the problems and that's back to lean again, right? You've got to define your problem. The only way you define your problems are you track them and you track those events. So you've got to record your events so you know where your problem areas are. It may be that it's loaner instruments. It may be that it's orthopedics. It may be that it's your bariatrics. But you won't know that by just having a laundry list of things that you've not categorized and you can't dissect. It may be it's your second shift staff, you know. Uh, it may be that, you know, you don't have supervision on your on your evening shift, right, your, your midnights. And, and that's where your problems are coming from. So you really got to be able to use the data to drill down to determine what is the problem. Once you determine what the problem is, then you can solve it. But you can't solve a problem just in generically because the typical generic response to solve a problem in SPD is, we just have to have an in-service and educate everybody. Well, that may work, but it may not work because, again, you're not directing the solution back to a specific problem. Uh, and it fits in with, like, changing the role of, like, an educator. Some departments are large enough they can have an educator in SPD. Our thought is, is that you really need to have that person is responsible for quality and education. Their primary role should be monitoring quality. Once you, once you monitor quality, you can determine where your problems are, and then you educate to solve the quality problems. We're not just shotgunning, shotgunning training to everybody just because that's just what, that's why we've done it since 1940, and it, that's, that's the way we do it. We really got to change SPD. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. Greg, I want you to do me a favor. For CS Week, we are coming out with a series of videos. My video is called The Science and Evolution of Sterile Processing, and you summed it up that presentation better than I could have. So I want to thank you for that. So check that out because you said everything that I'm going to say in that awesome. presentation that comes out. But so I do want to give you the final thought here on uh, just anything, any advice you want to give to managers or any final takeaways you want managers to take from this uh, that are looking to improve their own processes. What do you think they should do? Yeah, I think, I think the, the very first thing is, is again, look at your department differently. It's a production area. You're manufacturing a product and quality. has got to be hundred percent, right? There's no room for error in this business. Um, and, and that's the most important thing. Your three goals are availability, functionality, and safety of the instruments. And all three of those goals have to be met to be successful. And then you've got to look at your, 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 that production function of your variables that you have. And the most important one is you have enough staff. And if you see that, you know, you're going in and you got, you know, 50 sets, 100 sets, 300, 500 sets are down at the start of your day in SPD or at the start of any shift, it tells you you have got a significant problem, okay? If you're using a needs list to determine what you're gonna to put together for that day, just because that's that's what's needed, that's what's gonna be built, you're gonna have significant problems in that SPD. There's lots of things to do. Um, you know, there's lots of people that can help. I know Health Mark has been a great resource to, to the industry 
specialty care. We're trying to do our part. We're, we're here to help any way we possibly can. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, I think that definitely puts a, a bow on it. Uh, this is a, a topic near and dear to my heart. It's something I wish I, I would see more of, uh, Greg, to your point, when I go around traveling to different departments is simply just being obsessive about collecting the error data and knowing exactly what your problems are. And I love that you point out some of the top things that they can do in terms of like staff, like how much easier may, might it be to get the staff that you need if you had this kind of data at your disposal too? you know, Hey, we had 80 some errors in the mm-hmm. last two months that approximately costs uh, this many thousand dollars that totally justifies you know, the FTEs that I'm asking for, you know what I mean? Like you can have those conversations a little bit better uh, with the data. So at any rate, I'm just going to add one, one, one quick thing too, because I think this is an important note is that, you know, in the, and when you look at SPD and production, there's not one manufacturing plant in the world that allows, you know, one person to produce the product and not have somebody else check it before they put it on the shelf to sell. Right. Um, and that's something that needs to be built into every SPD. There should be a double check on every set, you know, just to make sure we got indicators, we've got locks, we've got filters, everything looks appropriate. It's in there properly. There needs to be a second set of eyes because of the variability of the skill sets of the technicians, particularly in a world where everybody does every job. You've got to have that in order to help prevent those trades from going to the OR. And I think that's an important point too, that SPD managers can, can implement. But it requires some additional staff. But you know, if we add that additional staff, we can cut out those additional errors that create havoc in the OR. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? If you if you cut down on the errors, you know, your staff can be doing more quality related work. You can be focused a little bit more on prevention rather than putting out fires, right? Uh, one of one of my old bosses used to say, <laughs> you know, if you run around all day putting out fires, at the end of the day, the house is still burnt down. You know, like you haven't you haven't really made any forward progress. You just kind of got through the day. Uh, so, again, Greg, uh, really appreciate your time. This was a huge. Uh, project. And hopefully we gave people some actionable steps there, a little high level overview of what you guys discovered with this project. And uh, we just appreciate you sharing your time and and the the learnings from this uh, with us and our audience. So thank you again for for, uh, appearing on the podcast. Well, thank you as well. All opinions expressed on this show are those of the presenters. Before using any medical device, it is important to review the device manufacturer's instructions for use.